David Thorpe, it's the NBA Finals tied 2-2. This is Bring It In. How are you feeling? I mean, I have a pulse. If you have a pulse and you like basketball, this is this is the dream. We're, we're lucky to get these kinds of series with evenly matched teams and and the game five tied to two. So, uh, yeah, let's do this. I'm fired up. There's so much for us to talk about. Hmm. We're, we're going to definitely want to talk about Draymond Green, who sat for part of crunch time and why that might be. And we're going to talk about the Warriors offense that we like to call the Cuisinart, what that is and how it's working or not working against the Boston Celtics in these finals. But first, um, I looked up these raw plus minus numbers in these finals. And among the Warriors, there's like a Michael Jordan character on this roster. And it's not, well, it's not, everybody would probably guess Steph Curry. Incorrect. Uh, maybe Draymond Green has long been that guy in the numbers. Not him at all. Not Clay Thompson, not Jordan Poole, but Kevon Looney. He's, per 100 possessions, he's plus 18.8 in these finals, while no one else is even plus seven. Uh, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, all negative. So uh, what's going on, David? Do you feel like you understand the magic of Kevon Looney against the Boston Celtics in the 2022 finals? Yeah, yeah, I think that... Um... I think we should probably talk about a few things real quick on him, Henry. First of all, you, know, you remember I was, uh, I started being a fan of his when I was studying tape for the Raptors Warriors uh, showdown like three years ago. And I, I, I called you excitedly saying, I think Kevon Looney can guard uh, Kawhi Leonard. And uh, I knew he wouldn't get a ton of reps at it, but anything would matter. And of course it didn't matter. They, you know, they had all these other injuries, but studying his game, I was so impressed. And then, over the years, getting to know the people who represent him, uh, some Warriors people, and then just in general, it, uh, he was this, you know, point forward scoring machine coming out of high school. I want to say in Milwaukee, and uh, with a top five player in his class, everyone thought his nickname was Baby KD. And I know that, like, if you look oh at God. the high school ratings from that time, I'm pretty sure he was rated ahead of like Jason Tatum. Wow, Baby KD! I forgot you told me that, but yeah, so that's who he was. And he's not been healthy. This is this is the story of the series for Looney. Is he's had an 82 game season, which I think is the first, and he's just I think he's even healthier now. Which, by the way, is very exciting for him and, and whoever employs him to include potentially Golden State going forward. He's in a contract year, as you know, and th this guy can get much better. Uh, a baby KD would be really good at Golden State right now considering they're four and five men, including Kevon don't shoot very well. But so here's what's happening. I think I feel like the pressure of the finals, the pressure of these two elite defenses, we're seeing a lot of frantic possessions. Not when I say a lot, I don't mean 55%, but, but more than 3%, more than 5%. There, there is the, 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 none of the Boston Celtics guys have been here. A good portion of the warriors that are playing have not been to this level before, but Looney's part of that core four. He's the fourth guy. He's the fourth musketeer in a sense. And an example of, of how he's not being changed by the pressure of the moment and the defense was late in game four. I think it was the final three minutes Draymond was in the game. I think they blitzed Curry up top. He hits Draymond in a short roll, which is a very common thing. He throws a beautiful, Green throws a beautiful bounce pass, kind of a high-low pass in the paint to Looney. And Looney just patiently fakes and pauses and then has a great left-hand finish. It's not the hardest thing in the world, but he didn't rush it. And we've seen these guys rush so many plays 
Tatum rushed a, a very important flip screen in the fourth quarter. And instead of landing on two feet and strongly going up over helping Clay Thompson, he kind of threw up what I call a hope shot, hoping it would go in. Looney did nothing like that. He just settled in, used his fakes, and finished. And I think that's very symbolic or representative of what we're seeing from him, a two-way player who values setting screens because he's not thinking about popping. That may change one day. But he is setting real screens like Draymond is. He's making simple plays on both ends. He's their best low-post defender right now as a helper. He's got size at a big block shot in the fourth quarter. So all that adds up to, um, I think, a guy that Boston's not really been able to solve because he's just playing off of what's given to him and not trying to do too much. There's a lot of weird stuff happening with lineups, but one of the things we saw was Kevon not starting, even though he's been so effective. What's going on with that? Well, I think, I, I mean, before the game, you may remember, I talked about how, I mean, to me, he had to start. And, and they went with Porter. If you remember after game three, uh, Golden State was, being, was getting hammered with size. And so I and their half-court offense has been almost as bad as Boston's, uh, as we talked about at the Cuisinart Art is unplugged right now. So I think the coaching staff met and said, how do we stay bigger and find ourselves a better offensive grouping? And so they went with Porter, who I think you told me is, is near like 100% true shooting percentage. Yeah. And to Steve Kerr's immense credit, Three minutes into game four, he was like, all right, that idea sucked. <laughs> Let's get Kevon in the game. And that is not a small thing. Like, these coaches have pride, and I think it's a huge mistake to have pride. But they do, and Kerr did not. He's like, screw it. I'm taking – I'm pulling the plug on this terrible, terrible idea of not having what's been our best player in the game at the start of the game. And Looney was in early on. And then, of course, as we know, late in the game, he pulled Draymond from some of their offensive possessions and left Kavan in. That's symbolic of, of some pretty significant. There's a, he's just better than Draymond right now and needs to be on the court. Yeah, we should. So Draymond's such an interesting game. He's, he's long been among the most interesting people in the world, let yeah. alone in the NBA. And um, we could probably do several hours of talking about Draymond. But um, I guess generally he's been underrated, I would say. You agree? I completely, agree, I completely agree with you. By, by the general public who isn't reading True Hoop uh, or our, our dear friends who cover advanced metrics, um, I think that they, would, they don't think he's very good compared to what we think. He doesn't do, he doesn't do the, the thing everybody notices, which is score in a beautiful way. Right. But he does everything else, including like firing up his teammates and uh, getting himself suspended for punching LeBron James in the privates. <laughs> like, you know, like... like um, all these kind of bullying things on the court and then just unbelievable defense. You know, he talks about, he, you know, he might be the best. He thinks he's the best screen setter of all time. He's an unbelievable rebounder, just defender. And you have spent some very enlightening time on the phone explaining to me angles and what it means about how a defender forces offensive players into different angles. He's an absolute wizard of that. Um, am I missing anything? Yeah. I, I think on the passing um, yeah. he's, he's such a quick ball mover, but he's also weaponized with it. He, in other words, he's not just swinging the ball to the open guy. He wants to know, he wants to get the ball into his best shooter's hands. Uh, yeah. Steph Curry would be a hall of famer if he had never played one second with Draymond Green. 
But I do not believe he'd be quite the player he's been if he didn't have anyone like Draymond Green passing the ball. There was a play late in the game where uh, just for a moment, his uh, Curry's defender, Derek White, uh, who was kind of guarding him, but the ball was inside the paint. Draymond's got it. I think it was fourth quarter. And Derek White just turns his head for a moment. Curry quickly relocates, find three. Green finds him in the blink of an eye. Derek White races out. Too late. Curry made the three. Doesn't need any time. Uh, very few players on the planet would, would be able to make that pass as often as Green has made it throughout his career. And in, in those final minutes where the Warriors really killed Boston at crunch time, uh, Draymond had two big assists for five points. Yeah. Um, so he's in an, this is a great point, right? So he's this unbelievable. At one point, I remember you saying that like the Warriors only have two playmakers on the roster and he's one of them. Right. So, um, right. but you noted that the, the Warriors Cuisinart has like their, their passes per game are way down yeah. against Boston. And it occurs to me that like in that environment where, they're just not freaking out about Steph Curry coming off a screen somewhere. They're basically taking away all of the, I mean, there was a famous play in, in the Warriors first uh, finals where Draymond got a wide open dunk. Cause like every other defender was just looking at Steph basically. Um, so you mean the Celtics are not doing that. They're not going to have that kind of panic attack when Steph has the ball. They have Marcus smart worrying about that. And I'm sure they're missing all kinds of detail here. You can explain, but, um, <laughs> but the fact is, Draymond doesn't get to be the playmaker in a system where everybody's moving, where he's brilliant at reading the floor. Instead, by and large, he's stand, he's able to catch the ball and stand there and they dare him to shoot it or not. And if that's the job, that's a job Otto Porter does much better, right? Oh, yeah. So um, a couple of things. So first of all, uh, Green now is a playmaker. Uh, in, in the way Boston has been guarding Golden State, because that could change tonight, is yep. uh, offensive rebound, kick out, which I think is how we got Curry the three that I described. I think they came off for offensive rebound. So he can facilitate then. And when, like I said before, the short roll, uh, when Boston decides to show hard or we call it blitzing or trapping Curry on a ball screen, which they do not are not doing this consistently. When they do... That allows Draymond to be, you know, he, he gets it, but he gets the ball and makes a play. Uh, but the Cuisinart is based on what we call pinch post action and then post splits, where they throw the ball to Green in the post. He is not really a threat to score, but he's not that far away from the rim. He can turn, you know, he, we've seen him take a handoff and go dunk the ball after one dribble. So he still, he still has to be guarded some. But what really is happening is they throw the ball to him, then they run their different actions, whether it's cuts, whether it's screens, whether it's fades, they're relocating with pace. And you have to be present in the, how most teams guard the Warriors because if you're laying off of green because he's not much of a threat, well then, literally by definition, you're not close enough to the action when someone like Steph or Clay come off of Draymond's, as he calls it, league best screen setting. And mm -hmm. now the only person that can contest a Curry three is Curry's man, who can't go under the screen because Curry then gets a very wide open three. So they, they lock and trail over the top of the screen. So if you watch a bunch of Curry tape in this finals, you'll see Curry making a three and kind of twisting his body some. Well, he's got to keep the ball away from the bad guy who's chasing around that screen and using their, you know, six foot nine or plus wingspan to try to contest the shot. 
Uh, it's a choice that EMA has made, and we can talk about that uh, in a minute. But as it relates to Draymond, he's not part of that. They're not, they're not staying pressed up to him. The Cuisinart art works best when they do. So they've got no one around the rims, commonly, not always. So there's no rim protection there already. They have to get there. And, uh, and, now, and, and because everyone's, yes, hyper-reacting to Steph Curry with good reason, and because of the way the floor is spaced, there's lots of room for backdoor cuts or curling around a screen and going right to the rim. And, uh, and when Draymond's man is quickly leaving him after a screen to go, go contest Steph in the most Cuisinart action. This is exactly what happened in the Cleveland play you're talking about. Although I, I thought it was the, I don't remember what year it was, but maybe, maybe, or maybe it was the David Blatt that first year. Green got two open dunks, not even one, where they just were so, Draymond's man was so freaked out, so we call it slipping the screen. He just slipped the screen when his guy was so worried about Steph coming off that screen, and he got wide open dunks, which seems, like impossible to get, but this is why Yudoka, Coach Yudoka isn't playing Steph that way. He feels like they've already won three titles with teams defending Steph this way. We're not going to do it. We think we have the size and blah, blah, blah. We, and we've talked about it, I think, on our show Friday, Gerard and I, um, and we'll talk about it again uh, today. Some, they're making Steph be heroic in a different way, and th- it's great for Steph. It's not good for Dre. It doesn't, it's not in Draymond's wheelhouse to impact the game offensively. In fact, I would argue it's really hurting his game and hurting the Warriors because of it. That's why he's got a negative plus minus probably. Yeah, so this is a very weird thing for him. So 2014, 15, and 16, he had the best plus minus in the playoffs of any yeah. player on the Warriors. Amazing. Just a little reminder, Stephen Curry was on those teams. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like 17, 18, 19, he had even better plus minus numbers, but wasn't first because those teams also had Kevin Durant and Seth right. Curry, and he was he was second or third all those years. Yeah. Then, of course, they'd missed the playoffs for a couple of years. Um, in these playoffs, he's been plus five. So in 2017, he was uh, more than plus 12, Jeez. which is just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Yeah, amazing. Um, plus f- some years in the regular season, the best player in the whole NBA is like plus seven. Like, um, so 2022, he's around plus five for most of the, for all of the playoffs together. But here in these finals, he's worse than minus two, which just kind of leaves with, okay, so now David, you're wearing Steve Kerr's shoes. What do you do? Yeah. Well, you, first of all, everything changes if Boston decides to, to guard Golden State more, um, more like everyone else has always guarded them, which is stay right. up on those, on those big men screening. So we can have a second person involved in the action to contest the Curry three. I don't think he'll do that, but he absolutely could. So if he does that, that makes it very easy for, for Kerr to make his decision. Uh, I think we're going to see more of what we saw at the end. I think he's going to try to – you have to have Draymond on the floor uh, defensively. There's, a, there's one – he's one reason why Boston's half-court offense has been so pathetic. Is Draymond Green, I think without question, would be the defensive player of the year had he played enough minutes to do it. He was crushing everybody in the advanced metrics, which most voters are paying attention to now. And so having not, not having him on defense uh, comes with a real tax. So you got to be smart. you got to manage the game. And every chance you can get him out of an offensive possession, uh, you will, knowing that as soon as you can, you'll get him back in because you need him on defense. I think that needs to continue. Unless, I mean, it's just, it's naive for us to think, Henry, that now, finally, Draymond's going to realize I have to be weaponized as a scorer. 
I have to be able to make threes. I have to be able to drive more and, and, be, and be a threat to score. He's had to do that for years, and he hasn't done it. And part of it's because he's always hunting Curry. Part of it, my guess is, he's lost so much confidence, Henry, in, in his game, and and they they can't seem to have, they haven't solved that problem. So I think it's more likely we're going to continue to see more Kevon Looney, less Draymond, especially in the second half of games, um, which worked out just fine because in the last three minutes he was incredible. Maybe because he was angry, but nonetheless he was professional. We have to we have to give it up. This is this is not a guy that stood on ceremony. And thought, well, you're not playing me. Screw you guys. That wasn't at all the case. He was fantastic down the stretch, even though he had been benched for a good portion of the fourth when he normally would play. So I give him a lot of credit for that. It's what he should be doing. But not every player in his position does it. He did. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about how this all processes in like the team dynamic. Um, when he was on the bench at crunch time in game four, Mark Jackson was speculating about what Draymond would say on his podcast about being benched. And he didn't say anything. He said almost nothing other than that he hadn't talked to Steve Kerr about it much. And that kind of felt to me like if they were all cool with it, if they were all seeing eye to eye, it would have been easy to talk about, right? But it it wasn't easy to talk about, it sounds like, Um, which doesn't mean he won't be super effective. It just means that there might be a little tension there, I guess. Well, uh, yeah, neither neither of us are pretending to know exactly what he's thinking. But I I can venture an educated guess, which is it doesn't matter. And Dray- Draymond, uh, he has the he has we, we have to respect his zeal to win a championship without KD too. And uh, it, Draymond's a lot of things, Henry. I thought you you described it best, and you, we've talked off air too. He he's really it's such an interesting character or such an interesting person, and obviously exceedingly bright. This guy could, probably could have been super successful at a million different things that focus just on brain power because <laughs> he sees it. His brain process is fast, but um, man, he, he's a winner. And I think he knows it doesn't make any sense to complain while the series is going on. He can do whatever he wants after the season's over. He's trying to win, he's trying to win games and win a series. And he was perfectly professional in the game. He delivered in crunch time. And I expect that we'll see nothing different going forward in that, in that area. To your point about him, his brain power and being a winner, um, for whatever reason, I got to be like the one reporter at the NBA rookie transition program, the year that Draymond was in the program. Yeah. And um, the way they let you have access is, you know, the days carved up into different kind of classes. It's like it's like a college course load, yeah. except maybe eight, nine classes a day. No phones at that time. Maybe they have solved that role. I'm not sure. Um, it's pretty intense. Um, and they don't let the reporter in all the sessions because sometimes they're talking about sex and stuff, right? And they don't want to make the, the players feel like they're on display in these sensitive topics. But I went into a lot of pretty heavy stuff. Anyway, what that means is there are here and there an hour I'm waiting in the hallway or in some break room, some copy room with like other people who are often presenters or administrators and stuff, which means you're kind of killing time. So I remember killing time with a little collection of presenters and speakers and some of them are NBA legends, people who work for the, the union or the league now. And, um, Basically, I'm like, well, who's who's killing it? Who do you love in this setting where there's no basketball court, right? There's no basketball. Hmm. So it's who's, who's who's great. And they're all, it's like, oh, well, like Draymond Green is like, who they're basically like, you know, do you know who Draymond Green is? Because he'd been a very low pick, right? He was yeah. not a particular second famous pick. player. Yeah, second pick. Like, do you know? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, you know, he's like the MVP of this thing by far. But it's just, it's kind of sad because we don't think he's going to stick in the league. He almost didn't. I, I know. Yeah. I know for a fact uh, I was talking to a, a president of a team 
who called me about a deal with Golden State. I've told you about it before. And Draymond Green was a throw-in from Golden State. And yeah. he, he had, I'm telling you, he had no value to this team. I don't think he had any value to Golden State. And he definitely didn't have any value to the team that thought about acquiring other players on that team. He, he was not a difference maker at all. So that's a big miss. That's a big damn miss by that other team. And Golden State, listen, Golden State also tried to trade Clay. Don't, I don't care what anyone says. They, they, they had a deal done, and the team they wanted to trade him to uh, was afraid to pay him the max. So big mistake by that team. But it's funny how these things happen. That's why I feel like the combination of Curry and Kerr, um, are, they're the two foundational pieces that built this dynasty. And then Draymond certainly is the next guy in line. And, uh, and to, to reference what you were saying on the whole rookie weekend, um, listen, Draymond has such a presence and it's such a, a, a powerful charisma that I believe, I believe we reported when we were back at ESPN that someone there reported it was Draymond who made the argument, fuck everything, let's go for the 73 wins, and we'll definitely win the championship, and we're going to go down as the greatest team of all time unequivocally. And, and we did a, you remember this, we did like a poll in-house that we published as to whether or not we thought, maybe we did a five-on-five, remember those five-on-fives um, or three-on-threes, whatever? I was the only one who thought they should not go for the record and win the championship because I've been reading true for a long time. And I knew that if they played too many minutes, they just would wear down. And uh, who knows what really happened at the end, whether they had worn down injuries, suspensions, whatever. But it was Draymond that got them to do it. And uh, he is a powerful figure that way um, and deserves a ton of credit for what they've done. But he's got to play much better. He's got to play the whole game like he did those last three minutes. And uh, that isn't easy to do. You got to get on the offensive glass, uh, uh, you, and you got to you got to be weaponized. And I just he's just not been doing that great, you know, for consistent stretches. Can you like you told me some stuff? I don't know how much is public, and I'm putting you on the spot in the podcast. But like you have some insight into how the coaching staff uses Draymond's observations about defenses, the other team's defense. I don't remember talking to you about this. <laughs> yeah, tell me, tell me more. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. I'm an old man, Henry. Forgive me. It's not secret, but I'm pretty sure, like someone who was in the room told you that, like at halftime, they're like, "Draymond, what's the defense doing?" Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, this has been going on for a long time. Yeah, this has been going on for a long time. Where, uh, and, and and honestly, Iguodala too. Like I remember, yeah. this is not Draymond, but I remember. Um, I mean, I'll just I can say his name now. He's a coach. Corey Brewer told me that one of the things he loved about George Carl is before games, George would talk to Andre and Corey about, hey, what do you, this is not the postseason, this is the regular season, but he wanted their input. There's lots of ways, I, I've told this story before, I've been to a lecture out in, in a hot, non-air-conditioned gym where Mike Fratello, when he was the head coach back then, I think of Cleveland or Atlanta, one of the other, gave a lecture called The Eight Ways, the Eight Ways to Defend the Pick and Roll. Players had no interest in that, although he was doing it for players. All of us coaches were riveted. There's lots of ways to do almost everything. So uh, I've said to you that when Rod Adams was getting all the credit for the, the, the defensive genius of the Warriors, which was a big, big part of their – you've written this before. Uh, it's not just the Cuisinart and not just Steph Curry. 
But for many of those years, they were one of the best defensive teams in the league. And when they weren't in the regular season, they were in the postseason. Uh, I don't think it was Ron Adams. I never did. I always thought it was Draymond who would get, who just, he just has such an encyclopedic knowledge of what's happening and feel of where to attack. He'd probably make an amazing coach one day uh, if he, if he kind of controls his emotions a little bit better. Right now, he'd be a great college coach. He sent him to the Big Ten at Michigan State to replace Izzo, and he and Juwan Howard might, might fight, but they'll have some of the greatest games of all time because I think both those guys are incredible, could be incredible coaches. Juwan already is. Um, but, uh, yeah, he just, he just really has a great understanding of what works and, 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 and how to attack, and that goes back to that. It's, I think you gave me some assist numbers. Maybe you have a graph, right, um, where he's just piling up assists because he knows where to throw the ball and not just throwing it to a guy. Normally it's Curry, but not always. Like I said, he made that great pass to Looney. Uh, that's, that's an advanced reading of the game that uh, just not a lot of guys have. Yeah, he's top 10 all-time in assists in the finals, which, you know, yeah. all those numbers usually go to people who just are in a lot of finals games. So in a way, it's cheating. But in a way, it's not cheating because if you're really good, you're in a lot of finals games. Yeah, but it's not like they've been to 11. And it's not like he's a primary ball handling guard. Yeah, exactly. This is a non-shooting four or five. The death line yeah. of these the five. It's a it's an amazing statistic, Henry. Amazing. It is. I mean, the players. I, I don't have the list in front of me, but like the players who are behind him on that list are legends. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> don't you think he's a Hall of Famer, like first ballot? Yeah, I, I you know, no, yeah, absolutely. If, we, if so defense too. is is acknowledged in any way, shape, or form, right. Uh, this guy has to be in there. Well, well, just think about what we just said. If you're if you're one of the best defensive players in finals history, and one of the most effective passers, uh, and have won as of now it is three, and he's two away from four. Like that's that's a that's a dream career that you know less than one percent of the league's ever going to have. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here's my crazy idea. Now is like, well. It's a little more background uh, in this fairly famous story. Ethan Sherwood-Strauss wrote a cover story for ESPN, the magazine in 2016 about Draymond Green. And you know, at that time, the Warriors had won one championship, but Draymond was kind of a handful. Um, and I'll read a little two paragraphs here. Um, when they actually, so when they're in their first, in their 2015 parade, they have a moment where perhaps they've been drinking during the parade and they're, at the celebration on the stage and Draymond's turn on the mic. Now I'm going to read. Green chuckles, bounds over, grabs Kerr from his chair and drags him to the podium. There are hypothetically a few drops of tension to be wrung from this moment. This is my guy, Draymond starts, prompting Kerr to pat his chest. From the start of training camp, he hated me. That's no lie. He probably still hates me. That's no lie. But we're going to keep winning these championships, and that's no lie. Kerr, who's been gamely laughing at this play, steals the mic. You know how they start to play music at the Oscars when it starts to go on a little long and security comes and grabs the guy? That may happen here in a few minutes. Thanks, though, Draymond. <laughs> he finally offers a fling for the safety of his seat. <laughs> so I love that that's story. Interesting. Yeah, but <laughs> I think that um, we talked about this the other day for a different player, but uh, I think a lot of these guys, uh, having spent so much time with so many NBA players, um, I don't get this same vibe because I'm not their head coach. So it's a very different situation, but uh, I'll never forget. And no, neither will you. I had a player of mine in the room at the time when Jordan gave his hall of fame induction speech and, and we all could see 
for the record, how this man feels slighted. This, this at the time was the most famous basketball player of all time by a huge factor, the most moneyed, wealthiest basketball player of all time at that point. Um, I, I got to believe more words have been written about him. More players were inspired by him. Like he, 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 He's the last person on planet Earth that should ever feel like people doubted him. Not to say that someone didn't, but we're talking about, you know, 0.01%. And yet it drove Jordan mad and to six wins in the greatest player of all time at the time. And I think that is there for a lot of these guys. They just, they thrive on that doubt and that, or that suspicion of he's overrated, he's a fraud, whatever. And I think it's there for Draymond. I, I, you know, you know this, Henry, it's hard for coaches, especially in, I think that was Kerr's first year, uh, after Kerr's first year, you don't really get to know these players. It takes years to really get to know them. And uh, it's a little different than college where they recruit you for, and whatever in high school where you're with them all the time and they're just, you know, they're impressionable young teenagers. Uh, I think Draymond really believed that Steve hated him because he wasn't kissing his ass. And that's what these guys are used to getting in high school and college. Doesn't mean you're not coaching him up. Tom Izzo isn't just kissing your ass, but he, plus me, he's also kissing your ass in addition to coaching you hard. I just think Draymond really believed that Steve just hated him. I think there's no way that was the case. If one for Steve Kerr, Draymond had no value, as we talked about. But I think that's what drives them. They've come a long way since then, and so has Draymond. I think, I think you know, he talked about how terrible he was in, I think it was game well, one. Well, yeah, before we get too far, though, hold oh, on. Let me pick up the sorry. story in 2016, all right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, go. And actually, and I think uh, I've read, there's a lot of research about thinking fast and slow, right? Daniel Kahneman won a yeah. Nobel Prize for his research in, like, there's, I don't know about Draymond thinking slow, which is not something we get a lot of access in public to see, but right. like thinking fast, he's definitely a wizard, yep. right? This is literally making reads. This is what he does for a living is thinking fast, 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 fast. Yep. And like that part of his brain, like our emotion for all of us, the fast part is the emotional part, right? This is where you don't totally use reason, right? Like this is where, you know, you're feeling right that like, there is stuff that happened between Steve Kerr and Draymond. And Draymond actually explained more in that little talk. Basically, you know, they've had a battle for years about yep. whether or not Draymond should shoot threes. Yeah. And I think they've both been on both sides of it, is my read. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's the intention, right? And so that yeah. feeling is real. And Draymond's had that feeling. That's what he was talking about when he said he hates me, right? Um, I don't, you know, like, I got your side too here that like, probably on 29 teams, Draymond never becomes a starter or a key player on a great team. And that's all a lot of credit to Steve Kerr. So um, both are real. Okay, but now let me keep reading. So this was, we just told a story from June, 2015, seven, eight months later in February, then February in Oklahoma City um, was this moment that yeah. made news at the time, but it's kind of forgotten, right? Um, I'm reading Ethan's story again now. It's February 27th in Oklahoma City during halftime of a nationally televised game, and Green is losing his holy mind. Inside the visitor locker room, he's hollering, I'm not a robot at Kerr. When Kerr tells him to sit down, Green screams, motherfucker, come sit me down. When he goes after Kerr, his teammates, including Curry and Thompson, step in to save up disaster. Then Ethan describes, like, the police are hearing the racket and rush to the door, one of them in, like, SWAT team position, not sure what that means, but, like, hand on gun. Um, they really thought it was bad. Um, Kerr downplayed it afterwards, et cetera, et cetera. I'm bringing up all this to say we're not in a part of the NBA season where the best team wins anymore. We're in a part of the season where anything that gets you a game 
is it gets you halfway to a title, right? And Draymond has helped his team with some craziness and some real rational stuff we've been discussing all game long, right? Sometimes he's the guy who who wins you a game by getting someone else suspended or technical on somebody else or someone thrown out of a game or et cetera, et cetera. So now I'm suddenly noticing there's this moment now where like he believes and I think has kind of been proven right that his crossing the line a little bit here and there, being emotional on the court is very helpful to his team. <laughs> and now we add to that this moment where like arguably they would be okay without him for the first time in forever. Um, I don't know if he's thinking this way. I've seen no sign of it, but like it's kind of a green light moment for Draymond Green to do whatever he thinks might be helpful to his team. Like he can jump on the floor on top of somebody and in a way that might, this has already happened to Steph Curry in the series, right? Like almost swung the series that Al Horford was uncareful with Steph Curry's little body, right? Um, Draymond Green can do that to Jason Tatum or whatever. And if he gets thrown out, not the end of the world, right? I just feel like he just gets to be as as free as he wants to be out there because it used to be that if he got kicked out of the finals, the Warriors would just lose. Yeah. But maybe that's not quite the case right now. What are you really predicting, Henry? I have I've I have no idea. I've I told I said on Bring It In that I thought uh, the Warriors would win in seven, and I have felt good and bad about that, alternating every ninety seconds ever since I said it. <laughs> No, but you're, what you're saying is Dr- Draymond has the green light. You said this to do whatever yeah. he wants. Yeah, I don't think he wants to get ejected. I don't that think does, so. No, but that doesn't mean, right, but your point is that doesn't mean he'll be in control. Um, it's I mean, funny. It, and also now, if he, gets, if he got ejected three years ago, Steve Kerr is like sitting him down saying, Draymond, we need you. Yeah, we and now when he gets ejected, he's like, come on, come over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do think, though, uh, as I said, those last three minutes, I mean, he, he is important. He's just less important. And it's such a good, you know, this is not the time to do it with him probably, but if he's not going to grow more important next year. No. Like, unless he really improves his game. And, and speaking of that, as you know, there are, you know, much, much of the league, although it sounds like Anthony Davis isn't doing it based on what I heard over the weekend, that he hadn't touched the ball since April 5th or hasn't shot the ball. But much of the league is hard at work right now, working on their game. These these two teams can't do that. They're right now they're maintaining as best they can. They're not going to be able to touch a basketball until you know sometime in July, and by September third or fourth, they got to be back in their camp. But he needs to if he, if he doesn't want to even have less of a role next year, he's got to find a way to make outside shots again so they can space the floor. Um, uh, I don't think teams can necessarily copy what Boston's doing. Uh, in any in any one game, but some teams can, and and of course we're seeing what Curry's doing. But maybe you live with that. Uh, uh, he's kind of given permission of the teams to say, well, they want two of four playing this way. Uh, it, so Draymond is going to have even less value if he can't score, and teams don't let the Warriors plug their Cuisinart in. Which is why I think they one reason why they drafted James Weissman, and why I think they need a pick and roll guard to play with Steph. Uh, they could play very differently as they look at a team going forward. But, you know, we can talk about that in the offseason. This is, this is still NBA Finals. What is it? Yeah, what, what, what is it that the Celtics can do that other teams can't do to make this so difficult for the Warriors? Well, they just have, they have so much size. The only non-defender they have is Pritchard, and he at least brings a little fight to the game. Uh, you know, Marcus Smart's length and power. Uh, they play two bigs a lot. Grant Williams is an excellent uh, paint protector 
Remember, he was the key. They didn't they didn't solve the Giannis problem. Giannis's numbers might have been, in fact, I think they might have been more impressive than Seth's right now in the finals. Uh, but they solved the Bucks problem for much of the series, and uh, so they've got all this you know muscle and mass and height, and uh, not not every team has that you know, and, uh, and they're very disciplined. They really understand what they're trying to do. And by the way, Golden State's half court offense has been terrible too. Uh, it's just been not as bad as Boston's, but it's not like that. That you know their offense has been killing it. Uh, Boston said it. You know they have a plan. It it hasn't worked in two of the four games, but it's worked in the half court mostly, and um, that's why I don't think we'll see a difference in Game Five. But we could. He could go back to being more traditional. Uh, let's let's stay attached to Looney and Green and and make sure we get a second person on Curry as much as possible, as opposed to just occasionally. So while we're recording this, um, troop editor Travis Moran is hard at work on your story that published later today, and um, in the kind of one of the calls for that story, I don't remember exactly what you said, but you were basically like, uh, "Both these teams suck." <laughs> offense, yeah, half court offense no, on offense. So, yeah, talk more about that. <laughs> yeah, they just they're they're I mean, they each have their own problems, but Golden State's offense is basically you know, let's if Steph's not a hero, we're in trouble. And there's Costco great even when he is a hero. Um, Boston's really kind of nullified what it is that they do, which if you go back to a, a quote from uh, Ime, God, I think at the start of the postseason, even before that, and we've written about this, where he basically said, we're just trying to disrupt what the other team tries to do. Well, they've done it. Mission accomplished. They've, un- they've, they've unplugged the Queens in a way no one else has that I can ever remember. Even the Toronto team didn't do it this way. So, because if you remember David Blatt in year one, Blitz Curry hard, a lot of guys do. That's still part of the Cuisin arm. You're still attached to their bigs. To fit, that's what that's how you can trap Curry is you gotta be next to to get the screener. And and you know, Boston's offense is just so it it, it, it you know, we're never dealing with an all or nothing situation. Uh there's too many possessions where I feel like Boston has a directionless possession, especially and this is probably where we should really focus. When they're when they have a fourth quarter lead, they I think, and this is just my opinion. I've not studied it deeply. I, I've been a little bit busy, but I, I I mean the numbers are the numbers. They've been terrible in the in the clutch in the fourth quarter, and I think they've been focused on time and score, and I think that's a big mistake. They should until there's less than two minutes to go, they should just be thinking about the score, and don't think about the clock. Jalen Brown has not thought about the clock. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, he should be good. You should take shots the last six minutes of the fourth quarter with the lead at the same, the same way you would during other portions of the game. And so if Jalen Brown is going to take a quick three in the first, second, or third quarter, he should do the same thing in the fourth quarter until you get to really, really late. And, but I think, you know, Marcus Smart shouldn't be doing that. Uh, Derek White shouldn't be doing that, although he, he has shot better in the playoffs. This is in the last series anyway, this last series. It's not like he's been a trusted guy. He's never really been this situation before. Um, and then they're they're also they're they're missing they're they're missing some force. Uh, Golden State has done a great job of getting more bodies in the first box, and um, and Boston, who has the size to make plays over them, isn't just consistently. At least they didn't in Game Four. They did not in Game Four. They're not finishing with power. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy made a comment early in the series about Jason Tatum is he's trying to draw the foul and not finish. 
I, I, I don't disagree with him. I think that in some cases, Tatum's not even trying to draw a foul. He's just trying to get the shot off. Instead of landing on two feet, there was one play in particular that we talked about yesterday where he flipped the screen in the fourth quarter. He cut to the rim. He should have been wide open, but Clay did a great job. He was guarding the opposite corner, and he came in and just kind of talled up. Uh, they're the same size, but Tatum had momentum. Tatum could have exploded over him or landed with two feet, used some fakes and like Looney's been, been doing, and powered up through it. But instead, Tatum kind of finished on the run, you know, kind of off one leg. And it was a weak effort. He just hoped it would go in, and it didn't. And it, to me, it's very symbolic of how Boston had too many possessions, just not really dictating. Tatum has not been as involved in the fourth period, period. Um, I, I said I said on a show this morning to someone, someone else, what I said to you yesterday, Henry, if Drew Holiday, I'd love to hear what you think right now. If Drew Holiday was there right now instead of Marcus Smart, um, do you think Boston would be more likely to be up 3-1, still tied at 2, or do you think they'd be down 1-3 if Drew Holiday was their point guard? I mean, I don't – this is – We don't know. Don't what's, like what's your guess? Being in the, well, also, I don't like being in a situation of, like, like doing anything that could upset Marcus Smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and, and I said this yesterday. It's funny. Um, I'm a huge Marcus Smart fan and was – I, I loved him coming out of college, and I didn't even appreciate some of the things about him that I do now. He is such a tough guy. Um, uh, he does have this indomitable will, which is great. Drew's a better player, and I think Drew's just a better quarterback. And Marcus, for many years, Marcus, I don't, he wasn't the lead guard, if I remember correctly, in college. He's not been the lead guard for many of, of his minutes in, in years in Boston, and I think that they're missing – uh, a, a direction too often and they're just kind of hooping and that you know they have made some adjustments now they if you remember in the last series in this one they have looked to exploit their size inside especially when curry for example is matched up with horford uh, but this last game as, as i said to you they were targeting bielisa who's six foot ten and more nimble than you think uh, as opposed to jordan Poole. it's different if, if no if jordan Poole's not in the game but when he is in the game, you have to go after him. If you're going to go after anyone, and that's kind of how their offense is based: is, is this pick on the weak link and then get the first time to drop and play from there. And so, we should actually can we pause yeah. for a second? Jordan yeah. Poole's been terrible, and in those plus-minus stats, he's terrible. Mm-hmm. What's the deal? Well, the way they're playing the uh, the way Boston's playing defense, he's also a casualty of the unplugged Cuisinart. Um, mm-hmm. He he is still very dependent on that to get some of his points. Uh, also, he's going up against the best defensive team that he's ever faced, probably uh, certainly in a series since he hasn't played in the playoffs before. Uh, so that's a factor. And defensively, this is, a, you know, this is a Celtics team that does tend to attack where they should. They're not doing this series enough. And I've, I've long believed that being a frail person it's hard to make up for that. It's why you look at Steph's body. There's not, you know, Steph's not a skinny guy anymore. I guarantee you that was by design after just having a tough time guarding people. It's not just your quickness. It's not just your size. But when you're not a great quick, although Poole is, you don't have great quickness or you don't have great size, strength matters. Poole just doesn't have it. He can develop it. I, I, I'm sure this series is going to help him understand as a reference point, man, I got to get stronger. 
Uh, but he does. He's got to get stronger. So, and, but, he, but he can't do it now. There's nothing he can do now to get stronger. You know, he can't just eat spinach, not Popeye. So he's just getting overwhelmed. And uh, Boston let him off the hook this last game because they attacked Bielisa for some reason, thinking it's the same thing. Same thing happened, I think, in game one um, where uh, – yeah, game one where um, – no, game two where Boston out of nowhere started attacking Kavon Looney. It's it's it just – but guys, do you not realize what a great defender that is? Well, the answer is nope. Either they didn't realize it or they didn't think about it, which is my point. They're, and now they did Bielisa, who's not Kevon Looney, but he ain't Jordan Poole. At least he's six for ten. So, um, and just to be more specific, Henry, Golden State has done such a good job of making sure someone's at the rim. None of them are rim protectors. They're all paint protectors, which means they get in the way. They muck things up. If you can learn to muck things up and you're seven feet tall, well, now you're Marcus Hall and you could be Defensive Player of the Year. Well, they don't have that. So just muck things up and hope for the best. That's what Looney's their best guy at with Draymond. And, and so because of that, though, the second box is open. And this is where I think the series can pivot for Boston. The second it's, box, listener, is uh, the half of the paint closest to the free throw line. That's, that's correct. Right. Cut, the, cut yeah. the paint in half. That the, the, where the free throw line is the top part of the second box. The rim is the bottom part of the first box. So I think with Tatum and Brown specifically, and also Marcus Smart, who got a huge second box jumper in game seven against, I think it was game seven against Drew Holiday, the best perimeter defender, in my opinion, in the world, uh, even though I thought Marcus Smart deserved that defensive player of the year. Drew, I think, is a better defender. Um, uh, they, they can get that shot over almost anyone except – 610 uh because he's so he's he's one of the few guys taller like Draymond's not taller than those guys Looney's the same size Bielisa's taller so don't so if second box is the best place for you to get to don't target the tallest guy that they're playing go after anybody else and I think that's going to show up on tape I saw it and I think that you're going to see this, they may not win the game tonight. There's lots of variables, and sometimes just whoever shoots better, especially both teams are shooting well. If one team shoots great and the other doesn't, that's not good for the, for the team that doesn't. Uh, I think they can get a steady dose of, you know, uh, 10 to 14-foot jumpers, even, even fadeaways. Or, with the way Brown and Tatum shoot so federally, federally soft, they can shoot fadeaways from 13, 14 feet, hit the rim a couple of times. It's going in a lot. They can really get fat doing that. And now Golden State's got to make a decision. Do we, do we let them keep doing it? Uh, because we can do that. But as you just said, Henry, uh, I, I, can't, I can't win on philosophy. I just have to try to win two of three. Yeah. And so if you end up losing a game because they just keep making 14-foot jumpers, which you think is what you want them to make, but they keep making it and you lose, well, now they just have to win one and two. So mm-hmm. if they decide to bring a second person, we've got to take that away. Well, now Boston's got to make the read and kick out and all of that. And so I wouldn't be surprised if first Boston does it, and if they're effective, then Steve Kerr has got to make a decision what to try to take away. It's harder for him. He does not have size in it as an advantage. The leverage is on Boston's side there. So here's the, like, this is like a, hurts my head thinking about this. Um, over the last hundred games, Jordan Poole's just an unbelievable scorer, one of the fastest players in the league, and yeah. just can hit every shot from everywhere. That's the big predictive signal right is like yeah, what he yeah. usually does is destroy people yeah. right over the last four games not happening 
what's the better predictor of like game five, game six, game seven, right? The last hundred or the last four, which are obviously against this particular opponent? Oh, I think it's the latter. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing point you're making. Um, and this is what's so, I, Gerard, who has this great talent, as you know, of just really framing things big picture really accurately. Uh, the, the postseason's different and the finals are really different. Um, I think Jalen Brown, I'll, I'm going to get to your, your question, but this goes to a Jalen Brown, I believe, talked in the last, yesterday, uh, which was an off day, talked about how this is new for them. Like, they've never been to the finals before. It is, you've been, you've been to the, you've been to more NBA finals than Jalen Brown has. Um, I could give the, him some pointers if he wants. <laughs> exactly. The atmosphere, the, it's just, it's crackling. Um, I have a picture, Henry, uh, that I posted years ago on Facebook of you and I. Uh, it was at, it was before I want to say I was game one or game three of one of the many series in Miami, and we were uh, dressed nicely. And we went to Adam Silver's press conference, and someone took a picture of us afterwards. Um, and I love that picture, not just because it's you and me looking incredibly handsome, but also because, man, it's fun to be in an NBA Finals. It's fun. Uh, especially if are we like sitting, by the way, are we sitting on the court? No, we're standing. No, game? no, no. That's a different no. one. I, yeah, that was we okay. we did a, we did a troop TV. You no, know, this is I'll send it yeah. to you. This is standing in the, the press room. It's just an okay. amazing atmosphere, and 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 so now, fast forward to your, to your question. Jordan Poole is is facing that atmosphere for the first time, and he's doing it against a team that has nothing but defensive studs except for Peyton Pritchard. Nothing. Everyone else is a plus defender. Everyone else. Al Horford is, is seven to eight inches taller than Jordan Poole and incredibly experienced despite not being super nimble. Uh, Robert Williams is even taller than Al Horford. Unbelievably athletic, agile, nimble, and knows what he's supposed to do and knows where to get to to block your shot at the rim. Tatum and Brown are defensive studs. Marcus Smart's Defensive Player of the Year. And if you're lucky, you get Jordan, you get Peyton Pritchard to guard you four possessions in a game, and you feel like celebrating, you know, like it's a parade because everything else is just so hard. And so I think it's, I think it's more likely the case that um, unless the Celtics change how they're defending Curry, uh, all the, we're going to see a lot of what we've seen. And I think that's the design. As I said to you a week ago, when I, oh, not a week ago, six, five days ago, when I finally realize what what Yudoka's biggest big picture was which is we we're playing for seven games and we don't think Steph Curry can do this for seven games we think he's going to wear down it's a hell of a risk it's a hell of a risk because they they could lose tonight whether Curry plays well or not and now it's 3-2 Golden State and you're going to go into a game six potentially down you know your last game of the season and you're going to keep hoping Curry misses it, it takes a lot of courage but that's what we're looking at right now so there's a oh man, we only have like a well we have a little bit of time left. Um, I am writing this book as you know about uh, Marcus Elliott and P3 and um, he spends a ton of time with athletes and we spend and he's a doctor and he's in the research and right. he knows all these people who are obsessed with performance right he, he's obsessed with performance yeah um, and we had kind of a big debate sitting in this little like gravelly garden in Santa Barbara playing backgammon and really it's like what makes special crunch time performance in like mentality and he and i agreed which is really you're a special elite crunch time performer if you can play regularly when the environment is crazy 
right? I don't know that it's a case of like being so much better. I think oh, it's more of that. That's, that's I, I exactly how I've defined it. I've always defined right. grace under pressure as doing what you normally do despite the right. circumstances. Yep. So to me, this is like, you know, they talk about how to, a, a moment that I've really felt pressure is like if you're driving on the ice and the car starts to skid, like they have a lot of advice, but really it's like drive normally. Yeah. Don't panic. Right. Yeah. Just, you know, keep driving. And um, I think this is what, this is what it feels like to me is, as like, you know, everything everyone's ever said about the big moments is true, but the fix is to understand like this stupid Hoosiers thing where like measure the distance from the baseline to the yeah. free throw line. And measure, like, <laughs> like, just be normal, play basketball. Yeah. Right. And like, yeah. this is where I'm like, Jordan Poole is a threat to play basketball, right? He might be yeah. bothered by these defenders and they are long, but on the other hand, he only needs like a, a micron of space to do his thing. Right. Like, like he can find some microns, right? Like the way that he moves. Um, he, he can, but, but let's just finish that thought out. Um, Boston just does a great job of making sure that when, when Jordan Poole, Oh, this happened the other, this happened the other day. But I, I, this is a Draymond Green play. One of the few easy shots Golden State got in the fourth quarter was a straight line drive by Jordan Poole, which is the single worst thing an offense can give up to a dribbler. A guy just dribbles straight to the rim. You've got to put a body there. And I told you this. That, so as Jordan's driving on the right side over basically the right block, here comes Jason Tatum. and per, he's, in, he's guarding Draymond Green on the dunk, to the, in the dunk spot on the left. And Jason Tatum's going over, and I am not telling you he's going to block the shot. He might have. He's, he's got five inches on pool, and he's a, he's a very good defender, in my opinion, and a very good help defender. And he is leaving to at least tall up to make it tough. Uh, Poole's going to make that shot uncontested 99 out of 100 shots, in my opinion. 99 out of 100. No one was guarding him. He was blew by his guy. And just as Tatum goes to leave to, to provide that, you know, walling, calling, convincing, testing, he kind of stumbles, and you realize Draymond Green kind of grabbed him and pushed him, and very cleverly, definitely an offensive foul. It's just not typically going to call that because it wasn't so extreme. And at, as Tatum goes to take it out, out of bounds after the made basket by Poole, you see him saying some of the referee, and that's exactly what he was talking about. You see what this guy's doing? Like, he can't do that. But, but normally that's not the case where Draymond can throw the helper off. And so even when Jordan Poole can zoom by his guy, which – Absolutely can happen all the time. There's just typically a gigantic man there. And remember, when you say those 100 games, of those 100, um, and you tell me, but I would argue 80 of the 100 are against uh, average to poor defensive teams. Uh, 10 are against you know, pretty good defensive teams, and 10 are against elite-level teams. So as, as I say to players all the time, Henry, who are in the business of trying to make more money in their career, you got to get fat against the bad teams. In fact, I'll go a step further and, and bring it a full circle. One of those teams I used to always focus on was the old Monte Ellis Golden State teams. <laughs> it, it wouldn't surprise you one bit that the, you know my son, Kevin Martin, the one 50-point game he had was against the Golden State Warriors. That is not a coincidence, my man. Like, we went into every one of those games, all 12 years of his career, we had a plan against those weaker defensive teams. Like, buddy, this is where you got to get fat. You know, you've got to look to drive, whatever, whatever. Every team's different. This is where you get more threes. This team, you can go to the rim a lot. Uh, just where do you get fat against Boston? Well, you, you got to be Steph Curry and be able to make 28-foot threes with a guy chasing you from behind 
uh, in the NBA Finals. You know, it's, it's just one guy like that. All right, so I have two difficult, put-you-on-the-spot, forward-looking questions uh, to okay. finish the show. Thanks. One is, Appreciate it. Well, yeah, you love this. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is, like, what happens? It doesn't have to be who wins game five against yeah. them, but basically, what, 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 what's, what's going to go on in, these, in the end of this, these finals? What are some things you feel confident predicting? Yeah, so I think it's likely, I talked about the, the evolution of a team and, and, you know, the survival of the fittest kind of thing. I think Boston has, has an easy tweak to what they're doing offensively, which is let's, let's continue to get the ball to our alpha predators, our predator wing scores, and let's try to get to that middle of the floor, second box, and guys just – and they've done this before. Stop over-penetrating and just take that easy jumper, and, um, and, then we'll, and we'll live with that. We'll live with those two pointers. We'll get more fouls because we'll be in the paint more. So that, that's something I think we'll see more of. Uh, and that means uh, Yudoka's got to – coach has to – he's got to come up with different ways to do it. You can't just throw the ball in their hands and say, go make a play, set some screens off the ball, uh, run some – a little bit more of a varied sets, all designed to get them into, into that middle of the floor. I think that we'll see Golden State uh, – uh, Looney, Looney might get a career high in minutes played these next few games. He's a hard guy to take out of the game. I think that they're going to find ways to get Gary Payton in. He's been, he's been a productive player for them. And, and you, you know, coming off that injury, it takes a while. So he's only going to get healthier, not less healthy. And I think that matters. Uh, I feel like uh, we, we've, seen, we've seen what Clay can do. I don't know that he can do any more. But I don't know that we've had a Clay game. Uh, he, we might have. They lost in game three. Clay was tremendous. Uh, he, he, you can't go by brand names, but this guy has so much confidence. In fact, today, I think, I think today, Henry's the three-year anniversary of his ACL tear against the Raptors. Maybe it was oh. yesterday. Might have been yesterday. But he talked about it in his press conference yesterday. Might have been yesterday. But still, he, he knows how fortunate he is to be back in this position. And so I just have this, this little itch inside that says that he, he might go for 35 one of these games. And um, that's huge for Golden State. I didn't, I, I, I don't know that he didn't do it already in game three, but it's just, he's such a special guy. And, and you brilliantly talk about uh, uh, describing basically grace under pressure. I feel like Clay has been, uh, I, I was never a huge fan of his, and I think he's very lucky. I don't think he ever feels pressure. I think he's just exactly. like totally cool with it. <laughs> exactly. So, right. I think you're exactly right. Uh, that's why I think people really love this guy. Um, yeah. I think that he, when this is man, these are two completely even teams. Like I give Boston, you know, if if last year Milwaukee was a fifty three, the Phoenix is forty seven. This year Boston is fifty point three to Golden State, you know, forty nine point seven. These are incredibly even teams, and so that's just going to add to the drama of this two two series. Which, by the way, Boston's fantastic on the road. So it's not like Golden State can even think, wow, we're you know we're just going to take care of Game Five. And who cares what happens Game Six? Boston's already ended two series on the road. <laughs> I mean, they, 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 well, not end, but pulled up big wins on the road. Game six in Milwaukee and game seven in Miami, I believe is right. I believe Boston had the home court. I forget it now, but I know they had monster road wins. And so it's because of all of this drama and t- intensity and tenseness, I just think Clay is going to be cool and calm. And so that, that's something else I'd see. Um, the uh, Celtics had real success with Horford one game. I, I would not be surprised if they're trying to devise ways again to have him bully Curry inside or Poole. 
and I think they'll target pool more consistently. And then the and then the last thing is, I just wonder if if Coach Adoka is going to be able to get um, if Amy is going to be able to get Marcus Smart to be a little less shooty, <laughs> a little <laughs> less prone to take that. Sh- he's just it's just he's not great at it. Um, you know, last year. We, we, we talked a lot about Drew has got to be weaponized. Even if he's missing, he has to take those shots. And they had Middleton and they had Giannis, but I feel differently about Boston's team. I don't think Marcus needs to do quite the same thing. I don't even know why. I'm not even telling you I'm right. Um, but I just feel like he can be a little less – he can be more reluctant to shoot and just run the team. Uh, maybe it's just because the matchups are so good. Um, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him – even chucking it I wouldn't he may shoot a little bit less and just try to organize them more and, and really we haven't mentioned this once and we're stupid I'm stupid uh they've got to they've got to not turn the ball over uh, they, they just don't win games like maybe they have more than 15 16 turnovers and they they win almost always when they when they don't turn over that much and that's why I go back to you got to you got to be smart with the ball you, you know you don't want to never shoot the ball and make too many passes but Marcus he can really exhibit some ball control and deliver the pass and, and get shots every time down. And, and uh, it just, they've got to get better half court offense. That'll help a lot. Okay. Last prediction is yeah. because of just the harshness of the NBA salary cap and the structure, the Warriors kind of have to pick if they're going to prioritize Looney or not, <laughs> um, which yeah. kind of boils down to a little bit of what we're seeing now, which is like, are you going to give these key minutes in over the next two, three, four, five years to, Draymond or Kevon or some combination, but um, how do you think it's going to play out? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I that I really don't know. I, I, it's it would be shocking to me, but I've been shocked before, Henry, that you would let a, you know, they call these guys homegrown products. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Kevon has a lot of people helping him. I've never met the young man, but I know he's a lot of people in his life. He was an amazing player long before he was ever at Golden State um, for his for his Asian class. Uh, to let a guy like that go that's been your best plus-minus guy, not your best player, but your best plus-minus guy in the postseason, knowing that, he, that he's still got upside. I think he's 25. Like, this guy is still growing as a player. It's finally healthy. Who knows what he can be? Uh, he's got such championship pedigree. Uh, it, it, it may have to come with these. I don't know how, how they trade Draymond or where we trade him, but um, as we already talked about, you did anyway, you know, the Kerr-Green relationship. Like, I don't think Steve Kerr is going to lose sleep if uh, this is the Gavon they get these next couple games. If he says, hey, if we want to go and trade Draymond, now's the time to do it. We've, we've got a show place in a Gavon. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Good place to leave it. Um, very excited. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what happens. Thank you so much for all the insight. I did my best. I hope, I hope it was worthwhile. And uh, we'll be doing a video tonight, Henry, after the game. We'll, uh, I'm sure you'll tweet it out tomorrow morning. We're just working you to the bone. That's the plan. It's the NBA Finals. It's the time to do it. <laughs> Got to make haven of sunshines, right? I guess so. All right. Thanks, David. Take care, bud.